Hi, this is Pastor Mark Rice. Unfortunately, the recording for this sermon started a little bit late, so let me catch you up on what you missed real quick. I talk about how in Galatians 5, the word that we see translated as faithfulness is actually normally translated as faith. It's the Greek word pistis. It's almost always translated as faith in American translations. And like the great theologian Inigo Montoya, sometimes I don't think that word means what we think it does. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. But they're kind of function like that. And all of the ones that we've worked from, when I say we, I mean Christendom, seems to have gone through the, the idea that we just want to know the Greek that's used in the Bible. You know, we're only interested in that. We're not interested in anything else. We're, looking, we're interested in the biblical Greek. And so all of our lexicons are, are built based on that. Well, the problem with that is you've taken the culture of the day out of it then. Um, and just to give you an example why that's an issue, uh, suppose you were writing a lexicon for English today, and you were, as you're making your lexicon, came across the word gay. Well, if you take the culture out of it, gay means happy, merry, you know, like it was in the, in the Christmas carol, and it, that's what gay means. But you put the culture in it, it has a whole different meaning, right? And so I think it's important to understand Paul wasn't writing the Bible, <coughs> Paul was writing letters. And even, even the Gospels were written for usually churches to have, so there'd be a record of what Jesus was doing. Revelation was sent to seven churches. And so we, they weren't thinking they were writing the Bible when they were writing that. What they were thinking was they were writing to people and trying to communicate. Those people were in the culture of the day. I mention all this because two guys uh, had a different approach, and their names were Little and Scott. And uh, they're from England, and they're, they were kind of putting all this together the same time that Thayer was putting together his Greek lexicon. And they had a different approach. They wanted to write a lexicon based on ancient Greek language. So they took everything. They took Peter and Paul, but they also took Socrates and Aristotle. And they took everything they could. It was a huge effort, and they put this thing together. Now, if you go to anybody studying ancient Greek, uh, they'll give you Little and Scott, sometimes called LSJ, Little Scott Jones. That's considered the authoritative work on that. But that's not what our Bible was based on strangely. And so if you go to uh, Thayer's book, which is where Strong's Concordance, if you go to blueletterbible.org, wonderful resource, that's all coming from Thayer's work. And you look up Pistis, it'll tell you it's faith. That's the only way it gets translated in the entire New Testament. But if you get a little in Scott and look up the first translation, it's actually trust. And I don't know what things were like in 1835, but today trust and faith are not the same thing. Now, I believe they're, in, in terms of the relationship of us with each other or with God, I believe they're on the same spectrum, but they're not the same thing. Faith, if I were to come up with the definition and we all kind of you know, put our heads together, we come up with something kind of like this. It's belief in something unseen and unknowable. You can't reason your way to faith, right? We all know. That. In fact, there's even an expression, leap of faith. Right? You take a leap of faith because you can't reason your way to it. You kind of get to the point and just leap off. So it's unknowable, it's unseen, that's faith. But trust is belief in someone or something based on personal experience. Now let me show you how this shows up in a relationship. And let me take a relationship I know a lot about, um, this relationship with, with my wife. And so I don't have time to go into the background of that either. Some of you know it. But so my wife's from Ukraine. When, when we met, we got engaged, I came back to the United States and started the process of filing the paperwork to get her over here so we can get married. I, that was the first time I told my friends and family that I was even <coughs> dating or thinking about getting married again. So it came, came as a shock to them. And my friends and family are mostly Christian uh, and good people generally who, who love me and care about me. So naturally when they looked at the pictures I showed from, from Kiev and I was telling them about it, 
almost universally, they said, well, you know she's just going to get the green card and leave you, right? I mean, you understand that? And I said, I didn't know that, no. And why would you say that? And they said, well, look at her, look at you, look at her again. <laughs> you got nothing to offer except a green card, she's going to get it and leave. Now, I had nothing to base my belief that was not right on because we knew each other somewhat. We met each other one week of our life, but we, we corresponded a lot. But I couldn't have proved anything because we hadn't really lived together or anything like that. So uh, I would tell him, I don't believe that. I have faith that's not who she is and that's not what she's after. I have faith. Now, fast forward a little bit, maybe like five years later, uh, by this time she has her green card, you know, she's here, we've lived together for five years, we're married, and um, let's say someone came out to me at that moment and said, you know, as soon as she gets her citizenship, which is next, she's out of here, you know, she's checking out. Now, at that moment, I can say, no, you're wrong, and I don't have faith that that's wrong, I have trust that that's wrong, because I have five years of knowing she could have cut out if she wanted to and she didn't, you know, <laughs> there were times she may have thought about it, but, but there, you know, we, we, uh, we got through all those times, and I knew who she was, by this time I had a much better feeling for what she was interested in in life and, and things, and so it wasn't just faith anymore, right, it was trust. It would have been a really sad thing, though, if someone came to me up in year five and I was still the same place that I was in year one. Because faith is supposed to grow into trust. There is a spectrum here, and in, in your Christian life, you're supposed to move from faith to trust. And I think that nuance is missing from our Bible, because we never see the word trust appear where, where there would be faith. If you look in your New Testament, go ahead, this is a fun exercise, look for the word trust. Do it online, it's faster. You'll be there all day. Trust hardly ever shows up in the New Testament. It shows up all the times. It's in the Old Testament. In fact, the Psalms are full of trust, but not the New Testament. And I believe it should be there. I think some of those faiths should be translated trust. And I want to talk about that. So let me give you an example of faith. And I think you almost have to look at the context to understand which is which. I'm not saying throughout your Bible. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just simply saying I think there is this idea that faith should grow. And grown faith, we would use the word trust for. So let me give you an example of faith that I believe is truly faith. And, and uh, this is in Matthew 17. This actually shows up in several places. But this is right after they bring this boy who's demon-possessed, and, de and the disciples try to cast the demon out. It doesn't work, and Jesus has to do it. And they say, why were we not able to do that? And Jesus says, because of your unbelief. Uh, some translations say little faith. That's actually a bad translation because the word here used is actually antipistus. It's like a negative sign in front of it. It's, it's complete unbelief. Jesus said, you were doing it and you didn't think it would happen when you did it. That's, that's unbelief, not little faith, unbelief. He said, surely I say to you though, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, which is dinky little small, right? If you have that much, you will say to that mountain, you can move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. This is clearly faith, not trust. Because there's no experience we have like that. Uh, unless you've lived a life I haven't heard of. You know, where you can say, I'm going to move this you know, <laughs> geographic location over to there. I've moved the river for you. I I've never seen anything like that in my life. There's no personal experience I can draw upon to make that happen. That's faith. That's a gift that God's giving to you. It's a little tiny piece of faith he's handing you. He says, you can do this. Right? That's faith. Uh, trust is different. Now, I'm going to walk through this quickly, but this is the story background because I want you to see it in context. Uh, this is also from Matthew. This is Matthew 14. Now, this is right after he feeds the 5,000, which is the biggest miracle in terms of volume that Jesus does. You know, it's pretty big. 5,000 people get fed. 
And he does this in such a way that they don't know it was a miracle, but the 12 disciples all know. They know they participated in this amazing miracle. They never seen anything like this. They fed everybody that they had food left over. When they were all done with there, Jesus makes his disciples get in a boat and sail away. I'll catch up. Now, you know, it might be one of those things you'd ask him how. He doesn't have a boat. <laughs> you know, how are you going to catch up with this, Jesus? You can walk around the lake. That's going to take a while. He said, you guys go on. I'll catch up. And he goes off to pray. So they go out there. And I don't know if you've ever been in these small crafts. I have. Uh, and sometimes if the wind comes up against you, you can't move. I mean, it's like you're rowing and rowing, and, and you get as far forward until the winds or wave hits you, and you get right back to where you were. And this is what was happening to them. In the middle of the night, this big storm came up, and they couldn't get forward. It's a scary place to be because, you know, you don't want to go back because then the winds to your back, it can capsize you. So they're trying to get through, and they can't. They just, like, struggle all night long, and that's what happens uh, to them. And so Jesus, about dawn, stops praying, and he sees them out there struggling, and he starts walking across the water because that was always his plan to walk across the water. Now, naturally, they see this figure walking up and down the, the waves, like, you know, like their land, and, and they think it's a ghost. That's got to be a ghost. Something's coming after us here. This is supernatural. And they cry out in fear, and Jesus immediately says to them, no, 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 take courage, fear not, uh, for it is I. Now, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I can't not show you this, just in case you haven't seen this before. That's actually not what Jesus says here. <laughs> what Jesus says is much cooler. And I understand that the translators are trying to make it read well, but what the Greek says here is much better because what Jesus actually says is, no, no, take courage, I am. He declares his name. He's like saying, I am that I am. I'm God, I'm right here. Don't worry about this, this is nothing. I am, I'm God. That's what he tells them. Take, take courage, I am. And so Peter looks out and he says to him, Lord, if it's you, which he just said it was, if it's you, tell me to come to you in the water. Now, I don't know if Peter was expecting him to say yes or no. Was he posturing for the other disciples? I'm not sure. It's Peter. You know, he kind of is a little emotional. So I don't know what he's expecting here. But immediately Jesus says, yeah, come on out. <laughs> that must have been a little scary. But Peter gets down out of the boat and starts walking across the water towards Jesus. Now, this is really cool because he's watching a miracle he's never seen before. And Jesus has said, come join me in the miracle. Come on, you too. You, I'll come out. You'll, you'll never believe what it looks like from the top of the wave. Come on out. I'll show it to you. And so he's walking towards him. But when he sees the wind, he's like, I can't do this. <laughs> and he looks and realizes it's like the cartoon, you know, where the guy's running along. His little feet are moving in the middle of the air. And <laughs> he looks and realizes, I can't do this. And he falls. That's kind of how Peter is here, right? He's going out there and he says, I can't do this. He starts to sink. He cries out in a loud voice, Lord, save me. And man, Jesus closes the gap like Troy Palomalo in his prime. You know, he's like right there. He grabs him and he says very fast famous, this is kind of famous verse, O you of little faith, although if you grew up like I did, that's a ye, O ye of little faith. Uh, he said, why did you doubt? Now, I actually believe that this is supposed to be translated trust. Because I want you to think about this if you're a parent. Have you ever uh, been a parent and you try to talk your child into doing something they're afraid to do? Like going down a slide or uh, jumping in the swimming pool, something like that, and you're trying to, and you're like in the pool, and you're, come on, come on, I'll catch you, I'll catch you, and they, uh, uh, you know, now come on, just get in here, people are waiting, come on, and eventually the kid turns around and runs away, <laughs> and the parent jumps out and chases him down, <laughs> and picks him up, what do they say to them? Why didn't you trust me? Why, why didn't you trust me? I was right there. Why didn't you trust me? I think that's what Jesus said to Peter at that moment. Why didn't you trust me? You just saw this miracle. Come on. And we'll find out that by this time, Jesus, Peter's the only one who knows that's the Son of God. 
And, and so he said, why don't you trust me, Peter? Come on, why don't you trust me? We are supposed to work from faith to trust. And if we're not going from faith to trust, it's called a stagnant Christian life. And some of us get stuck in this rut and we're wondering why we're not growing. We're not growing because we keep asking God for more faith and God's saying, I've given you faith, where's your trust? We're supposed to grow. Jesus expects us to grow. Paul, when he's writing to his protege uh, in Timothy, says this, put these things into practice, devote yourself to them so all may see your progress. He says, you're a leader. Here's how you need to be a leader. People need to see you grow in the Lord, Tim. You have to do that. You have to do that. You have to grow in the Lord because people are watching you and they're going to be expecting to see you grow in the Lord. You can't say the same. You're supposed to grow in the Lord. Now, faith is given to us as a gift. The Bible tells you you don't even know who Jesus is if it's not revealed to you. Faith is given to you as a gift. And we see that show up again in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, this gets thrown in there. And people kind of forget it because it's, it's, it's put between two other bigger faiths, in our, in, in, uh, two bigger gifts in our, in our experience. Uh, for to one is given the word of wisdom. That's a cool gift, by the way, if you have a word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge. Oh, that's a the word of knowledge is really cool. Word of knowledge is when God puts something in your head that you couldn't know in, in order to help minister to somebody. You know, it's really amazing. How, you know, if you ever dealt with somebody who has the gift, the word of knowledge, they'll be talking to you. All of a sudden, they'll say, well, this, and they'll tell you something happened in your life. You say, oh, how could you know that? That's a word of knowledge that God gave them for the purpose of ministering to you. It's a cool gift. Then he sneaks this one in there. And another faith. We say, yeah, 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 faith, faith, move on. No, 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 let's stop. Faith is a gift. God gives you faith as a gift. It's a gift to you. Look, I'm going to give you a faith. It's like God gives us a gift of faith as an invitation to participate in his miracles. I'm going to bring power here to earth, and I'm going to give you faith to believe it so you can be part of it. Do you understand God doesn't need us? He chooses to use us. So I'm going to give you some faith so you can join me here. Just like Peter. Come on out, man. Come on out. Come on out and join me in this great miracle. I, I'm going to give you some faith to do that. But faith gives way to trust when we grow in a relationship. And if it's not giving way to trust, we're not growing. Now, God is a multifaceted God. We will spend our whole lives forever and ever and ever just trying to understand him better because that's what the Bible says. We'll just, he's just so amazing, it'll take us forever to understand him. So it isn't like, oh, I used to have faith and I have trust and I'm cool, I'm done. There are many facets of God and it's a continual learning process, but you should be growing in some of your facets. You, sh you shouldn't be stuck the same at all times. Um, we had a situation happen a couple weeks ago. Um, Stas came into our room, Victoria and I were all settled to watch our reality TV, which we binge at night before we go to bed because nothing makes me more sleepy than watching that stuff. Uh, and uh, so all of a sudden he comes in and he was agitated. And he was agitated because apparently he'd been thinking about our retirement plan. And he was like, I want to know what I was doing about my retirement plan. And I wasn't agitated, which agitated him more. You know, so it kind of escalates a little bit. And then he leaves. He was very frustrated because we didn't seem to be caring about it or thinking about it. And Victoria looks at me and says, what do you think about that? I said, I don't know what to think about that. She says, but what about our retirement plan? What is our retirement plan? I said, I'll tell you my retirement plan, but you won't understand it and you won't like it. He said, what's you know, I'm your wife, tell me, because it affects me. I said, Psalm 37, that's my retirement plan. And let me tell you a little story about Psalm 37, but first let me show you what I'm talking about. This is just a part of Psalm 37. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, that's when the man falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. This is a beautiful picture the psalmist has. 
because we're with our dad, right? Abba, Father, that's dad. We're with our dad. He has his hand on ours. Remember, some of you remember back to those days. Can you remember back to when you were a little kid and your little hand's up here and your dad's big old hand was on you? Wasn't your dad just the strongest person in the world, right? And you're walking along and dad has your hand. And if you stumble and fall, what did your dad do? Whoa, slow down there. He picks you up and pulls you back. You never fall flat on your face if your dad has his hand on you, do you? The only way you can stumble and fall flat on your face is if you take your hand away from your dad. But he's drawn a picture here of this is it. The righteous is like, dad's got your hand and we're walking through this life together and I've stumbled and fall. Whoa, 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 tiger, slow down. I got you. It'll never happen. And then he says this, I have been young and now I'm old. And in all my days, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants out begging for bread. So I've never seen it because he keeps them from falling like that. He's got his hand on them. He said, in fact, all day long, that guy's gracious. He lends. And his descendants are a blessing to everyone. That's what I've seen, he says here. Now, here's the story about this, um, this verse. The first time I experienced it, I was like in sixth grade, maybe seventh grade. My family had gone to see a Christian uh, seminar at Russ Bixler's church in Pittsburgh. Some of you know who that is uh, or was. Anyway, so we were there, and it was, you know, it was preaching and everything else, and I was a kid. I barely understood. But one guy, before the preaching started, stood up and sung a solo. He had a beautiful voice. That was nice. But I'll never forget the song he sang because it was based on Psalm 37. And he was singing, of course, from the King James. And in the King James, it isn't his descendants. It's his seed, his seed out begging for bread. And that was like the chorus. I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed out begging for bread. I was sixth grade, whatever, however old I was, 12 years old, whatever that is. And something just exploded in my spirit. And I can't explain it. I never had an experience like that before, but I love that song. I mean, there's just something about that that just really grabbed me. And I didn't understand what was going on, but what was going on was God speaking to me through his word. Because it wasn't the rest of the song, it was the scripture part that was speaking to me. Now, my parents got the tape of the service, and they never watched it because that's what you did. <laughs> you got all these things, you had collections piling up dust. No one ever listened to them again. But I did. I took it, I put my little tiny Panasonic tape recorder because kids, that's what we had in those days, right? I didn't have an iPhone or something. I had a little tiny Panasonic tape recorder my parents had bought for my birthday. And I'd stick that tape in there and I'd rewind and I'd play that song until I knew the words. That's what you did too, because we didn't have the internet. And so I'd talk, and I would sing along with this guy, you know, his deep bar bass baritone, my little Mormon tabernacle choir voice, you know. And I was like, I was singing along with it. And when that verse came up, I just got emotional. As a kid, I just got emotional. I didn't know that. Now it happens all the time. I mean, scriptures sometimes come up on the screen. I'm ready to bawl my eyes out. But I didn't realize at the time what was going on was God was speaking to me through his word. And he was trying even then to tell me something. Now, I would love to tell you that I've gone from that moment to this, holding God's hand. Everything's been great. But I've let go of God's hand a lot across my life. But every time he'd take it back, dust me off, and I would let him hold my hand as we walk through life together, he took care of me. And he was always trying to teach me a very, very important concept, and that is Jehovah Jireh. That is the simplest, most basic thing God always tries to teach you. Jehovah Jireh is a, is a name of God which shows a characteristic of God, which is God will provide. God provides for you. God provides for you. God provides for you. He kept trying to teach me this throughout my entire life, and I struggled with it for much of the time because I was sure 
I had it, and then I didn't, and then I had it again, and didn't. And, and so here's the thing that you have to get. If you believe in God, but do not believe he will take care of you, God is not in the center of your life. That's not me talking, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, if you think you believe in God, but you're not letting God be the one taking care of you, he's not the center. Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart follows. So if your treasure's in heaven, and he's taking care, because I trust God for everything, then your heart follows that. And if your treasure's not there, if it's somewhere else, if it's in your job, it's if you're in 401k or whatever, if it's there, then that's where your heart is. And God's secondary. And God was really trying to get a hold of my heart and let me know, you've got to put me first. You have to put me first. And I've had a career. I mean, I've had a pretty good career. But I have to get to the point where I move out of the faith. I believe God's going to take care of me. And to the, you know what? I've seen God take care of me. I know he's going to take care of me. There's this, this trust thing. Faith that is believed becomes trust that is lived. We have to move from this faith to trust. And God was really pulling me into this. Now, let me, let me say a couple things just as a caveat. So, number one, I have nothing against 401k plans, IRAs. You guys should have them. I mean, take care of yourself and be, be good stewards of what God gives you. I'm not saying don't be. And I'm not even telling you that this is God's message to you. I'm telling you this was definitely God's message to me. He had to get my heart really, really well, and I had to be fully focused upon the Lord. So, you know, take that for whatever it's worth. I'm not preaching at you like you need to do this. I'm saying this is what God required of me. So six years ago, Victoria, that's why I told Victoria after I read her Psalm 37, six years ago we had a choice to make in our family because we had uh, this idea, Stas and Victoria had an idea and they wrote me into it to start Spirit Chapel, right? Uh, but we didn't know how we would do that. By the way, typically churches are planted by another church. They have a lot of money, plus they have money backing them. They have 30 to 60 people in them. That's what you need these days. Didn't used to be that way. You used to be able to plant a church with a, church with a lot less. But these days, you need 30 to 60 to start. Uh, we had 17 show up the first day. We had no money in the bank. I mean, we did this all wrong. Um, but so we were kind of wondering how we're going to do this. And we had three families at the time had, had offered to, you know, put their tithe in an account. So we started a nonprofit corp, Spirit Chapel Corp, so we could, you know, start giving to it. And we had a little bit of money in the bank. Uh, basically enough to cover a down payment on the rental of this place here. Now, because we were just brand new as a corporation, no one would write us a lease. No one. So, you know, Dan, who's a great guy, says, I'm not writing a lease to Spirit Chapel Corp that's been in business for one month. I'm not doing that. You will have to personally sign for this. Right? So I'm looking at signing on to a $70,000 commitment, personally. At the time, my family was trying to get out of debt. This was kind of going the wrong way. You know, I was like, we kind of worked hard to get out. You know, it was really hard to get that $10,000 card paid down. Now I'm going to throw a $70,000 debt on my account. I don't know, God. I don't know if this is you or not. Right? I'm, you know, now I'm nervous. I thought God might want us to do this, but now all of a sudden it gets time to pay. I'm not so sure I want to do that right now. Right at this moment, most, most of you know this, ha this story happens, uh, my old company suddenly appears out of nowhere and say, hey, you know, we really need senior consultants. If you'd be willing to come back, we could hire you out as a consultant. We've already shopped your resume to a couple of our customers. They would love to have you take over as lead consultant. I said, well, I don't think I want to do that. They said, well, hold off a minute. We'll cut you in on the deal. We'll give you a better deal. We'll give other consultants because we really need them. Uh, we'll give you $100 an hour, plus overtime, plus travel, which means that if I'm sitting in an airport waiting for a plane, I'm going to pay $100 an hour to do that. Uh, that makes that wait a little easier. Uh, and if it's 
already been, the week's already done and I'm waiting to go home and I've already put in 40 hours, it's time and a half. Well, well north of $200,000 a year. And all of a sudden I get excited. Look, this is an answer to prayer. I go back to Victoria. This is answer to prayer. We'll be out of debt in no time. We'll own our house like two and a half years. Own it. And we'll have money put away. This is a way we can catch up. This is wonderful. And she says, well, that's clearly not from God. I said, how can this not be from God? You know, we pray to get out of debt. She says, well, how are you going to preach? I said, well, I can still preach, you know. I'll prepare my sermon away and I'll come home. I'll be home. It was, it was actually Monday through Thursday jobs. So I'd be home Friday night. And, um, you know, I'll preach. It's not a problem. I got, all the, got it all worked out. She says, what about the rest of it? I said, what rest of it? Well, the Bible studies, the marriages, the funerals, all the other things you have to do. Well, I don't know. We'll hire somebody for all that stuff. Look how much money we'll be giving the church, you know, without we'll having money for all, that thi- all those things. She goes, this is clearly not from God. I said, you know, you know, just don't pray about it. If you don't feel that way, don't. I'm going to pray that God works all this out. You know, I, I see the light here. I see everything coming together because I can, you know, with this tithe, tithe alone, we can afford everything Spirit Chapel needs. Well, God... God helps me, I'll help him. That's kind of how this works. You know, this is all worked out in my head. Uh, and and he, she says, no, it's not going to happen. Well, there was this little problem. The first job they wanted to put me on was west of Canada. And there was no real good connection to get there, which means I'd have to leave Sunday morning. Well, I can't leave Sunday morning. So I came back and told the guy, I can't do that. I explained to him why. He thought it was weird. But okay, well, let me see if maybe they'll let you work flex hours so you can start later Monday, right? And so they went off to do all that, and Dan's wanting to know if I'm willing to sign the paperwork here. And so basically it came down to I had two paperworks I had to sign. I either signed this one, which didn't include flex time, or I had to sign this one to go $70,000 in the debt and open Spirit Chapel. Well, clearly we know which one I signed. <laughs> but at the moment I did that, I was okay with it because I said, God, if, if this is from you, and please let this be from you, <laughs> work it out. And he didn't. So that's not from him. So no matter how good it looked to me, even though that would have that ticked all my boxes, and even though I could have justified it somehow, I couldn't justify it in the way that mattered because God was saying, I'll provide for Spirit Chapel. Are you going to trust me or not? Sometimes we sit around praying for faith when he says, I need you to have trust. Now I've watched over the past almost five years, God take care of this place in amazing ways. And it's been, it's been quite a roller coaster. And here's a funny thing. My, my lease is coming up. I'm going to be off the hook here in November. And I just had this feeling, I had this feeling I'll be signing another lease before then. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Because God wants me committed because he knows me. We need to put God first in our life. We need to understand that that's what matters and nothing else matters. And, and as long as we're doing that, as long as we're focused on righteousness, God says, I've got you. Don't be foolish about it. Don't do things that you think, I mean, pray about things. But, you know, I had my, my spiritual partner instantly tell me that wasn't God. But we prayed about it, and then I was told that's not God too. And that's when you say, eh, confirmation, let's go do this. Let's sign, let's sign the lease, let's not sign the contract. All right, so um, trust. How do we move from faith to trust? Well, some simple steps which aren't easy steps. Number one, we have to pay attention. Remember that sermon a couple weeks ago about the pitfall? If we're not paying attention to what God's doing in our lives, we're missing the opportunity to move from faith to trust. God's hand is always at work in our life. We have to pay attention in order to see it, though. If we don't pay attention, we won't. When we see God's hand, we thank Him for what He's done. For what He's done. Not for what you wanted Him to do that He didn't. For what He's done. 
because God's moving in our lives and teaching us things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you do this amazing thing for me. And then the last one, this is really, really important. Remember it. What will it take you? I'm, I'm, we talk about, Pete just talk about memorizing scripture all the time. That's true. You need to memorize scripture. But you need to memorize what God's done in your life. You have to. Because you've got to be able to recall it instantly when the devil comes at you and says God doesn't love you. You've got to have that stuff burned in your brain. Nope, I know God loves me. You can't tell me because I know how he loves me. We have to remember these things. We have to burn it in our brain. The, the Bible in Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, hey, write this down and stick it on your forehead. You know, write what God does and stick a post-it on your forehead. I'm not saying you have to do that. But whatever it takes. You know, sometimes we put scriptures up around our house. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to start putting things God's done for us up around our house. There's, there's a biblical principle called Ebenezer. In the olden days, they would raise up a stone they would call an Ebenezer. And that would remind them at this spot, God helped them with something because most of them were, you know, plowers or shepherds. And they would do that and then walk by and go, oh, I remember that. It reminded them the goodness of God in them. We've forgotten that. If we do anything at all, <coughs> we'll write them in prayer journals, which are fine, except prayer journals are only read when you open them. You need to come across them. You know, you have signposts set up. You have to get there because, believe it or not, there's a level past trust we have to get to. We have to get to the part where we know God. That's the third level. Starts with faith, moves to trust, gets to know. I've been married to Victoria for 16 years. I know her. You know, is she going to leave me to get anything? No, none of those things. You know, I, I know her. I know what drives her. I know what she wants and what she doesn't. I know her. By the way, we've counseled with couples who've been married together for 10, 15, 20 years. And they didn't know each other at all. It's possible to go through a relationship and not even know the other person. It's kind of crazy for us to think about, but you know, Victoria and I live together literally 24-7, seven days a week. <clears throat> I work at home, she works at home, we do the church together. Since the time she's got here, we like hardly ever apart, except from traveling, that's it. And some of the trips I took her with me. I mean, we just live together all the time. It'd be kind of stupid and weird if we didn't know each other. But I, I, we've counseled with couples, they just didn't know each other. In fact, the wife even said, you don't know me at all. And she wasn't lying. It's incredible, but we do this in our personal relationships, and we're certainly doing it in our relationship with God. We've never moved from faith. We're still babies waiting for him to give us faith so we can see miracles. Woo, pretty lights. And we're not moving into the trust, and we're not moving into the knowing. Uh, Paul, who was you know, one of the most prolific writers and certainly seemed to know God better than anybody because he explains the intricate details about him, says this, here's what I want. I count all things lost for excellence in the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him. This is his prayer. Paul, this is at the end of his life. I just want to know God. Wow, you don't know him? Here's, here's the thing, though. We have to understand that know in the Bible isn't know like we think. No, knowledge, no to us is intellectually. I know him. I know a guy. Right? I, know. I know. I know who's the, you know, I, I, I know who the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers are. Yeah, I don't know him. I know who he is, right? That's how we think about knowing. That's not the biblical explanation of knowing. It's intimate. It's you know them on an on a, on a intellectual and spiritual and emotional level. You know God. Like you know him so well. You know what he wants. Because this is where you can actually start making plans in the Lord's name. Because you can just know him. I know what this is what he wants. I understand this. I, I know this. Can we live with the knowledge of God and not ever really know him? Knowledge of him? but not actually know him? Well, according to Jesus, we can. 
Jesus says this in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father. And it gets off of that thinking about and actually starts doing. That's, that's who will. See, many going to come to me that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Hey, do you, how does this even fit? Because he's saying, you need to do the will of my Father. And they're talking about all the things that were done. And he says, I never knew you. Doesn't that count? No, because none of that came from God. We can't just do our will in God's name and call it good. We have to do God's will. Are, are, are you willing to do that? Because that's how you grow from trust to none. You actually start doing God's will. We have to get there. We have to grow in knowledge and in grace, and they are not the same thing. This is from Second uh, Peter. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and until the day of eternity. We're to grow in knowledge and in grace. We're supposed to know and we're supposed to do and that helps us know better so we can do more, so we can know better and we can do more. We're supposed to be moving up this continuum scale of our Lord. We're supposed to get better at this, not stay the same, right? The problem with today's church, really, is we have two, two extremes. One wants to live in faith and that's it. But they even call themselves word of faith. It's all I care about. Faith, 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 faith. It's all about the faith. And the other wants to teach you about God without ever leaving your pew. I'm going to teach you all about him. So those people, they believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's all about, you know, reading the Word, reading the Word, reading the Word. Nothing wrong with reading the Word. I believe in reading the Word. But if you don't do the Word, what are you reading it for? So there, there's this experience that's supposed to come through with that as well. The problem is that every time they, 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 you fall off on one of these two ends of the spectrum and don't live the fullness that Jesus Christ is talking about, we always have problems. Uh, if you seek knowledge of God's word, but you have no experience with God, his word is going to convict you, not save you. If you have no experience with them, you don't have any grace, you just have knowledge. And this is a problem with a lot of Christians I know. Oh, they can quote the Bible you, chapter and verse. They don't know what it's like to live. I'm not proud of this, but I have lived the prodigal son. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. But it's not just a story to me. I left and came back. I know what that guy was feeling like when he was in pig slop. I understand that. I've lived it. Like I said, I'm not proud of that. I wish I hadn't. I wish there was another parable I've chosen to live. But you've got to get there. You've got to live the Word of God. It, it's, it's, it's supposed to be a hands-on. You know, our, our Savior is a blue-collar saving. Faith to believe in Jesus is just the starting point. Yes, you need faith to believe in Jesus. Yes, that is the beginning of your journey with Jesus. It can't be the end of your journey. It can't be the end of your journey. It's Hebrews 6.1 he says this, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. We're supposed to move on. We are meant to grow. And if we don't do that, we're never going to have a situation where we can say, you know what? I trust the Lord. And we're always going to be praying for faith. Show me again, Lord, one more time. I didn't quite catch that. One more time. Can you show me again? God says, you know what? I've shown you a lot. When are you just going to believe what I've told you and trust me? When can we move past trust to knowing me? God has so much more in store for you than just faith. He wants you to know him. That's the purpose of the faith, is to get you to the point where you can actually know God. This is, um, I think, good advice for anybody. This is especially, I think, good advice for people who are starting out, who still have the chance 
to live their life without experiencing the prodigal son parable. I'm going to just want to speak to the young people for a minute. Like, let's say, for instance, oh, let's say I, I knew, um, let's say I knew a couple people who were getting married. Let's say I knew two couples getting married. One, maybe the groom was about 26 years old, maybe. One where the bride was male, I don't know, 23 or something. It's a hypothetical situation. Um, if I had advice that I were going to give to these two couples who are getting married maybe in the next year, um, what would I tell them? First of all, I wouldn't tell them anything because no one listens to an old guy like me. I mean, I know that. So I was thinking maybe if I could put it in a poem. You know, they wouldn't maybe listen to it, but they could keep it and, and, and go to it later. I thought, no, that's not going to work because I'm not much of a poet. Here's what I'll do. I'll come up with a poem in the stylings of a very famous American poet, a guy named Dr. Seuss, because that guy wrote poetry you could remember. I bet half of you could still recite Green Eggs and Ham. I bet you you could. Uh, so uh, I've got a little poem here written in the stylings of Dr. Seuss that I didn't work on very hard, but I'm going to pretend like I did. Okay. And it goes like this. You cannot find God in a house. You will not find God through a spouse. And I'm looking at you like everyone's a critic suddenly, literary critic. Like, I don't know about the meter there. Okay. I didn't say it was Kipling. It's Dr. Seuss. The job you do you can't someday. The child you have will move away. We waste our breath chasing these things that disappear on deceiver's wings. Bright and shining objects on this earth conspire to keep us from putting God first. This one thing I'd advise if I could. Trust in the Lord, for he is good. Would you all please pray with me?